our Old Testament passage, our second Old Testament passage today, is coming from the book of Joshua. Joshua is the book that we're looking at this month of stewardship. And so we're going to be in the sixth chapter, verses 12 through 16. You can follow along in your pew Bible or you can listen to the word as it is read. Then Joshua rose early in the morning and the priests took up the ark of the Lord, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord passed on, blowing the trumpets continually. The armed men went before them And the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets blew continually. On the second day, they marched around the city once, and they returned to the camp. And they did this for six days. On the seventh day, they rose early at dawn, marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, apparently this month is Pastor Appreciation Month. Who knew we get a month? Okay, it seems like everybody gets a month. But apparently this is the Pastor Appreciation Month. This is my first time this year, though, to really sit down and just reflect on my ministry as I'm getting more years added to it. And thinking about all the wondrous things and challenging things that I have witnessed. You know, as a pastor, you get to be a part of some people's most important moments in their lives. I had an instructor at Candler tell me that if you're an effective pastor, people trust you. And they'll typically give you a golden ticket to those important moments in their lives so you can be the presence of Christ for them there. And it's a great honor that we hold very dear as pastors. And so when I look back at some of these moments, you know, weddings are a big moment in life, you know? And now I've gotten some years in ministry, I've been a part of a good number of weddings, each one different in its own way, but always a great joy to be there with a couple as they get started on their life together. But on the flip side, I've also been in the moments where someone has come to my office and tell me that their marriage is ending as well. You know, I've been there for young couples as they welcome their first child. Usually hours after the baby is born, I'll go to the hospital room and say a little prayer and welcome the new child. It's always a great event when you have that. But then on that flip side, I reflect that I've also been in the hospital room with loved ones and family as they say goodbye to one of their own, which is always tough. Now, I've had the blessing of presiding or doing confirmation a few years here. I've done some senior baccalaureate services and those are always fun times when they're getting ready to go on the next phase of life with so much in front of them, so many things that they, that are, they can get to do. But I've also been there with families hours after they've gotten that phone call in the middle of the night that there's been an accident. So in ministry, you get to see and be a part of all the big moments, good and bad. But one of the things that I enjoy the most was the one that I mentioned at the very beginning of the list, and that's weddings. Weddings are always a joyous occasion, chaotic. The mother of the bride's always stressed out, and I'm always like, look, it's okay. They're going to be married at the end of the day, and all this will be passed. And so last night, I had the honor of officiating a wedding, and it was the perfect night for an outdoor wedding. God turned the temperature down 10 degrees from Friday night. It was the perfect fall night. Sun was setting, it was outside, they had the lights hanging in the trees. It was really just the perfect wedding. And the couple was so sweet. The food was great. And then, of course, one of my favorite things that they had out there, and they had it set up, 
there was a dance floor, okay? And so my family will tell you that I am not a good dancer, not a good dancer at all. And so um, sometimes my family will go with me to these weddings, sometimes they want, and that's when it's really dangerous when I'm by myself. But I mean, I can't help myself, and I know some of you are all in the same position I am. When you're at a wedding, you hear the YMCA, you got to run out there, or the Cupid Shuffle, you know the Cupid Shuffle. And then last night I learned a new one, it's called the Church Clap. And I did that multiple times and did not bust it at all, but apparently you have to do a high kick and clap your hands underneath your leg when you do that. And there's apparently a 10-second video floating around that I don't think any of y'all will get your hands on, but there is one out there of me doing one church clap. But anyway, you know, weddings are fun. You know, they're just a joyous event, and after all the planning and the stress is over, and you can kind of just, you know, decompress and then when it gets time to the reception, the preacher's job is over. Like, my job is done. I'm off the clock, you know. And so what I like to do after I do a few dance moves, they cut the cake. I like to get my piece of wedding cake, usually the one with the edges. It's got all the little icing on it. And I like to sit down and just kind of melt away from all the chaos and just eat my wedding cake, you know, everybody just doing their thing. And a lot of times I just reflect on that couple and the time that they've got and what they're going to be starting. I reflect on the other weddings that I've done, and I even reflect on my own wedding that's now going to be 17 years ago soon. And all the things that go into a marriage. You know, all the things, all the challenges, all the joys, all of it that go into a marriage. You know, they say if marriage is for better or for worse. And I kind of think the better phrase is for better and worse. There's good and bad. You know, you can't escape that. But both people in a marriage hold equal but important roles in their life journey, the new life journey together. And one of those themes, one of those important ingredients is unity. Unity is key when the two individuals join together as one and make one new life together. And so for today at St. Matthew's, for this Stewardship Week, we're going to be looking at the idea of unity. What does it mean for us to have unity as a Christian? As a church, what does that mean? What is God calling us to do with unity? And so we're looking at moving forward as one, all of us together, but as one church in unity. And, you know, and everybody plays an important part. You, when Kate was talking about the team, you know, teams have many individuals, many people, but they all work together for one goal. Church works together for one goal. This scripture passage that we have of the Israelites marching around Jericho has a lot of things that we're to pick up on out of it. There's really two big things to pick up out of this passage here. The first thing is the numbers. The numbers, the number six and the number seven. Those are important biblical numbers. You see them a lot in the Old Testament, okay? The number six for many of us when we think of the Old Testament should trigger something to us to the creation story, right? God created everything that we see before us in six days. Six days. And then on the seventh day, he rested. And that rest was not because God was tired and he couldn't do it and he needed to sit on the couch and watch football. No. Okay? That was to model to us as his followers and as his creation that we are not created to go all the time without rest. I mean, many of us have personally experienced busy seasons in our life and how nice it was when we finally could just take a break. We need rest. And that was to show us that on the seventh day, we are to rest and spend it with the Lord. And so in this passage here, you see where the Israelites walked around Jericho for six days. Six days they walked around. 
And they walked in a way that made them vulnerable for attack from the enemies at Jericho. But they had faith in the Lord that they'd be protected. They were walking out there in the open and the enemies were in the city on the walls. They could have taken them out, but they didn't. They continued to walk around because that's what God instructed uh, Joshua to tell them to do. And you know, sometimes in life this shows that God will kind of call us to do some things that don't make sense in the moment. You know, there are some things that he might ask you to do and you're like, are you sure, God, I'm supposed to do that right now? That doesn't make a lot of sense. Are you sure I'm supposed to wait right now? That doesn't make a lot of sense. There's a lot of moments in our life when we're listening to God, he calls and do things. We're like, are you sure about that? I don't know if I'm hearing you right. Let me pray about it. Next day, yep, that's probably what you're making me, you know, ask me to do. So here it shows you that sometimes walking around a city six days in the wide open may not make a lot of sense. But there is a greater plan in place, just like for us. when we're called to do things that may not make sense. We're part of a bigger story here that we'll eventually know what is going on. But then the number seven also is an important number in the Bible. It means many things. But here in this story, on the seventh day, they rose early and walked around the city seven times. And then they shouted, and the city would be theirs. You see, the number seven in the Bible is in connection with many ideas. With the idea of perfection or completion, to be complete. Uh, For healing or exoneration. Or the fulfillment of promises. So the number seven means many different things. When you go to Genesis chapter 21, we learn that Abraham satisfied the oath with a gift of seven lambs and named the site of where he gave the seven lambs to God, Beersheba, which there's a well there. And that means the well of the oath or the well of seven. King David referred to the number seven in describing the perfect nature of God's words when he wrote that the Lord's words are flawless, like God refined or gold refined seven times. And that's in Psalm 12. And the number seven means healing. As in Deuteronomy, it tells us that on the seventh year, Israelites cancel all the debts and free the slaves. There's healing within the community. So the number seven means many important things. And so what this is telling us here, that in God's perfect time, in his complete and perfect time, he will fulfill his promises for his people, even in moments where it doesn't make sense. Even in moments where it doesn't make sense in your life. You have to hold on to that faith. And so this is what this passage is showing. That's why the numbers are so important throughout Scripture. So when you see the number seven, pay attention. Then number six, pay attention. There's more to the story in that moment. But besides the numbers and God's complete promises and and all of that great stuff, the other thing that it is showing you is here that God is with the people in that moment as they march around the city where that doesn't make a lot of sense to, but they're marching around the city and God is with them. When you see in the Old Testament where the ark of the Lord is with them, that means the ark of the Lord is where the presence of God resides. God was right in the middle of that movement of people and troops and priests around the city walls. He was right there. The ark of the Lord is right in the middle with them all the way through, all the way through. He was in unity with his people in that moment and they were in unity with him. They were working together in that moment at Jericho. And so this passage here shows us that with unity to God and the other believers, in that moment for the Israelites, it made the destruction of Jericho possible. God's promise was fulfilled as the people worked in unity with each other. They worked in unity with God and God worked with them. Unity was key. You know, going back to the team analogy, 
you know, being on a team, going towards a goal is all great, and, but there's more to it when it comes to unity on a team. Because everybody can wear the same uniform and be on the team, but are they really unified? They're not unified until they support one another and work for one another. Unity is just not showing up with just a uniform on, but doing nothing else. You know, as a church, we all could come to church one hour a week, and then that's it. But are we really unified in that moment as a church if that's all that you do is come to worship and just sit? No, there's more to it. There's more to unity than just showing up with the same uniform on. The Apostle Paul gives us the key ingredient to unity, to Christian unity and what it is. The key ingredient is in Colossians chapter 3, verse 14. This is what he says. He says, And above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Moving forward in unity bound by Christian love. That is the key ingredient that we should not miss when we want to be unified together and unified with God, that love has got to be a part of that unity because if it's not there, then you're not going to have it. Unity is the, uh, the love's the main ingredient for unity. But then that begs the question, what is love? You know, if you turn on Hallmark and watch a Hallmark show, it feels like it's the high-powered woman who leaves the city that goes to the hometown and finds the old high school boyfriend and then they fall back in love and have all these feelings and then they you know, end up by a Christmas tree drinking hot chocolate and living happily ever after. I mean, that's, that's basically, right, the, the premise of every Hallmark show. Um, but I don't know. Whenever I watch it, though, I still like, is it going to be them ending up together? There's always this element of surprise, but it's, you know, you know. So we, when we watch Hallmark or when we're, when we're younger and we watch romantic comedies, we always think love is more feeling-based. And there is some feeling with love, yes. But actual love is a choice, is a choice. You have to choose to love. You have to choose to love. And sometimes it's real easy to choose to love, and sometimes it's really hard. You know, going back to the young couple that got married last night, I'm sure early in their marriage, it's going to be really easy to love each other. But as the years go on, as mistakes are made, it becomes a harder and harder choice. Some days harder than others. But <laughs> watch out, Hal. <laughs> but it is a choice that we make each and every day, whether we directly think of it that way or not, if you're in a marriage, to choose to love your spouse that day. You know, and it's hard some days. It's a choice. But love, when it comes to the Christian faith, is also a choice. You know, many of us are blessed to have that moment where we have this overpowering feeling of the Holy Spirit and we dedicate our lives to the Christian life and we remember where we were at that moment. And that's awesome. And that's a wonderful feeling to have that spirit there. But then some of us may never really have that feeling, but we just know we accept Christ and we've always just lived that life. Each and every one of us have a different story. But that doesn't mean that the one that had the big feeling moment at the cross has more love than the one who's always just been faithful. No, it has to be a choice. As a Christian, we have to choose this life. God loves us so much. This is the incredible thing with God. He gives us free will to make choices. He does. Knowing that we're going to make the wrong choice sometimes, but he's still going to let us make that choice. 
You know, a lot of parents today will go above and beyond to protect their children from making poor choices. God loves us, but he allows us to make the choices in our life, good or bad. So it's on us to make that choice. And so each and every day as a Christian, we have to wake up and make the choice to love others as God has loved others. And we have to make the choice to live a life that loves God as well. And it's hard. Some days we get it right, some days we don't. But we keep trying, we keep choosing, and we keep trying. But the main ingredient here that I want us all to know, to have unity as the body of Christ and unity with our God, we have to choose love. No matter how hard it is sometimes. But love is what binds us together. That is the key ingredient for unity. And as we choose love and invite love into our hearts, and we do it each and every day, and we get filled up with his love more and more and more, it begins to push out that other junk that just fills us. That other stuff has to go out. And so that's why it's so important that each and every day we make that choice to fill ourselves with his love and to choose to love others because then we'll slowly begin to push out that other stuff that the world has put in us that is thrown out us each and every day. And so my challenge to you in this moment, and it's not an easy challenge, but it involves the morning time. When you wake up, the first thing you should do once you kind of collect your thoughts, sometimes that may be after a cup of coffee, don't look at your phone if you're a phone person. Don't, don't look at your phone first thing. Don't turn on the TV or the radio. Don't turn on that podcast. Don't read the newspaper yet or anything. But sit there in your morning time and say, you know, today I choose to love God and I choose to love others. Say that to yourself each and every day and do that. And then you'll begin to see a change. I really believe you'll begin to see a change where that other stuff in your life that fills it up will not have room because there's so much love there. And it's going to be hard because some days you're not going to feel like loving others. But choose each and every day to love because as we're looking at what we're doing as a church, as we're moving forward, if we're all doing this together in unity and loving each other and loving God, there are many great things that we can do for God in this season. There are many great things that we have been blessed with that we will be willing and freely to give up to him. No matter what it is, time, talents, gifts, money, we will have so much love and unity that it won't matter, that we would give it to the kingdom so that great things can be done. So that's my challenge for this week as we focus on unity. Each and every morning wake up and choose love. Choose love of neighbors, choose love of God, love of self. Put love first. It's a choice. And then when we do this, we'll be so filled with his spirit that we'll be able to move forward in unity bound by his love. Let us pray.